We're going to look at God's word. Our text this morning is Romans, Romans chapter 5. You don't want God's word open, so find it in the Pew Bible if you don't have your copy of God's word. I don't know about you, but uh, there are seasons, even this past fall for me, the season marked with a lot of frustrations and encumbrances. It seemed like anything and everything I put my hand to uh, was marked with a little bit of resistance or a lot of resistance. Perhaps some of you can relate. Maybe some of you would say a big chunk of the last year has been that way. You come face to face. You know how it is. You come face to face with the fact that things break. And systems don't work. And things fail you. You come face to face with the fact that uh, your lawnmower isn't going to last forever. Your parenting is broken. Your computer breaks down. Even the simplest of tasks you can't seem to get done. People, people that you thought were uh, so reliable, they get sick. People that are normally kind end up being kind of adversarial to you. I don't know what it's been maybe for you. Things, you know what I'm talking about. Things that you thought would take 20 minutes end up taking three hours. And things that you thought would cost $20 ended up costing $420. You get the picture, I think. And it can be kind of, it can be exhausting. It can be demoralizing. And one of the things that's actually demoralizing about it, to be honest with you, is that I've experienced some of that and then the way that I respond to that. Does that make sense? And so I even like I look to the, to the Lord and say, why are you marginalizing me? Or why are, you, why are you frustrating this? As if he was there just to oppose me. And that's demoralizing to think about how I thought God was out to exasperate me. But hey, we have a chance, right? Because of this calendar thing, whoever invented that, uh, that we can hit the reset button. There's a new start, a, a fresh start. And what will 2017 hold for you and for me? Well, we don't know. I, I know that the spring will hold taxes for me. And, and this summer, I know that I'm going to turn 40 years old. But besides that, I, I, I don't know. I don't know for you or for me. But we're going to focus this morning on some things that we do know. And hopefully with increasing certainty and joy and confidence, things that we can hold on to. Uh, and that's found here in Romans 5. So hear this, this is the word of God. Therefore, this is verse 1, Romans 5, the Apostle Paul writing, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Would you pray with me just for a second? Lord, already we've, we've said and we've proclaimed and we've praised your name. We've been, we've been hearing and saying things, but right now we want to hear from your word. So would you come with your spirit to help us to not only listen, but to take heed of this, your 
authoritative word. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's not only your lawnmower and your GPS that will let you down, right? Let us down. Maybe it's your children. Maybe your children have let you down or shamed you. Or maybe, maybe this past year your marriage has let you down. Or your career path or something with regard to your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe your health has disappointed you. Your own body. Your own ability to fight off and resist sickness. I don't know. But perhaps this morning we can say, we can join with Paul and say, there is reason, there is foundation, there is a basis for us to still have hope. What do you hope in? What do you trust in? Where do you let that reside? Where are we letting that reside? And this morning, we know that that's easier said than done. Why do we know that? Because uh, ironically enough, the Old Testament reading that we heard this morning is what I plan to highlight uh, briefly here. Psalm 42. What does the psalmist say? In verse 5, we just read it just a little while ago. He says, hey, soul, he's speaking to himself. That's a good thing to do, by the way. Um, Hey, soul, why are you downcast? It's easy, right, at times. And then he says, hope, or place your hope in God. We need that encouragement, right? Because we do have that internal struggle. And there are disappointments. And there are ways that we even doubt God. One of the most poetic chapters in all the Bible, we know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, speaking of the nature of love, at the very close, or near the close in verse 13, what does it say there? These three things abide. What? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, right? Faith, hope, and love. I think we see actually all three of those, interestingly enough, all three of those things are witnessed right here in our text this morning in Romans 5. And so if you're taking notes, that's actually going to be my outline. Faith and justification in the first two verses. And then second, hope and affliction in verses 3 and 4. And then love, love and explanation in verse 5. All right, let's work our way through these verses briefly. First of all, verse 1, therefore. Now, any good Bible teacher will tell you that when you come across the therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore? Well, it's because of things that Paul had mentioned in the previous chapter, closing up chapter 4, when he talks about the nature of how it is that we stand before God. It is not on the basis of our moral performance. It cannot be uh, the law of God that would satisfy things such that we would be in right relationship with God. And so he says, therefore, having been justified by not the law, but by faith... Therefore, and then he goes on, since this is true, therefore, since we know this to be the case, therefore, these things should be implied and understood in view of these facts. We are justified. We are are set right. Things are, are restored, so to speak, with respect to God by faith alone. And then there are fruits. There are benefits that flow out of justification Three of them here are listed right away in these first two verses. Well, for one, we have peace with God. And then we have fellowship. We have friendship with God. And then lastly, we have hope. Those are three, just three. There are many more that we can enjoy because as, 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 as a result of fruit that flow from justification. 
Now, you might say to yourself, why does a person need all those things from this big word you're using, justification? Well, it assumes certain things. If we resist that, we might say anyone can have fellowship or peace with God. There are other ways and religions. There are are, are perfectly normal people who know nothing of Jesus that have a friendship and peace with God. What's the big deal? Well, it is. it's, It's not so. In fact, Billy Graham many, many years ago wrote a book called Peace with God. And, and that, that, was a, that was a good title. It was fitting that he didn't call it, How Do We Have Peace? Because if you want to talk about peace, if you want to talk about a peace that endures, that is genuine and lasting, you, you can't have that without peace with God. And it, does, and, and it assumes something, of course. It assumes that by nature, we don't have peace with God. That we, are, we, that we don't have fellowship and communion with God. By nature, right out of the gates. I I hope this isn't new news to you, but I want to remind you that we, by nature, even if not consciously, we are living in such a way in our in our flesh and in our natural state that we are 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 craving. We are relying upon self. We are craving autonomy so that we can live our, our own way according to our own desires. We're committed to our own independence. And that doesn't put us in right standing with God. In fact, if you go a little further down in the chapter, if you look there with me at verse 9 in Romans 5, it says, since we have now been justified by his blood, that's what we put our faith in, right? Not in our, not in our effort, but in the blood of Jesus. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, that is Jesus? Verse 10, for if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Do you get that? Do you understand? It's, it's, it's assumed something. It's stating clearly. Even though our assumption at times is that we are naturally children of God by birth, we are not. We, we, are, we, are, we are enemies of God. And so we do need to be justified. Our standing is, is guilt. We have not loved the Lord our God with all of ourselves, and we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And that, in a court of law, would stand against us as evidence that we need to be saved and redeemed and forgiven and reconciled and justified and put in right relationship. And we can't do that by works. But don't be confused. We are saved by works. They are Christ's, not ours. It's Christ's obedience. But let, let's just move on. Let's focus the majority of our time here on one of those other fruit, uh, fruits, and that's hope. So here's my, my next heading here, looking at verses 3 and 4. Let's, let's focus on hope, because hope here is commended to us. It's commended to us as both a verb uh, and a noun. And that's how we use it. Even in our modern culture and language, we talk about uh, hope as, as, a, as a desire that is within us, an affection of sorts. It's also referred to as, as a thing, right? As something that we can, that we can possess. And that's why we, that's why we express ourselves with, with regard to hope. We say we hope that the Patriots win the Super Bowl next month. Now, we, we, we might have good evidence that that's going to be the case, but we don't know. And we might say we have a, as if it were a thing, we have a solid financial hope because of what we have in the bank. 
But we still don't know, do we? You see, any time that we talk about hope, we're, we're referring to things that are lacking in certainty. And John Piper was helpful for, for me on this. He writes, ordinarily when we express hope, he writes, we are expressing uncertainty. But this is not the distinctive meaning of biblical hope. And this is how he defines it. Hope is a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. And he goes on to say that that's because there is a, a moral certainty about biblical hope. Now, let, let, me, let me try to, to illustrate this. I remember my brother, I only have one sibling, um, who is close in age. And we were sitting in the back of, of our car. And uh, we were driving down. I, I don't know why I just, just so distinctly remember where I was sitting when we had this conversation with my parents. We were both teenagers and I was feeling some angst. It had nothing to do with my parents, but it had everything to do with how many of my friends' parents were getting divorced and separated. And it created an angst. And so I finally just came out and said, are you ever going to get divorced, mom and dad? And my brother also was, was right there with me, very, very eager to hear from them about this. And they said, no. We, we, have, we have no desire, we have no intentions of ever being separated or divorced. I, I, well, I mean, you don't know that, do you? you? You can't know that. How do you know that? They're like, listen, we, we promise we are not getting divorced. And I, I remember just pressing and pressing. But how, how can you know that? I want to know I mean, I can hope for them not to get divorced. But that's not how they phrase it. They didn't look at me and say, well, we hope we don't get divorced. They didn't say it that way. There was, in essence, a a, a biblical hope with respect to the covenant of marriage because it's talking about an act of the will. A moral certainty that was built after, at that stage of their life, 25 years of marriage and fidelity. And then they went on to talk about the promises of God and the goodness of Jesus in their lives up until that point. Am I making sense? Does this, do you understand? This is, this is something that is shaped and built upon character and, and a moral will and of course surrounded and undergirded and built upon the very promises of God. That's the type of hope that we can have in God. All the more, even greater, because of his character and because of his promises to his children. But what about, and I'm glad to say my parents this summer will celebrate 47 years of marriage, praise be to him. But what about affliction? What about the tri- What about what he's talking about here, rejoicing in sufferings, which is Rejoicing not in the suffering, as if we're, we're, but rejoicing amidst the sufferings there in verse 3. But what about that? When, when, when it, when it comes, you know, the, the, the 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning phone call. You know what I'm talking about? For some of you who are in college, you're like, yeah, that could mean a lot of things. <laughs> but when you're 40, the 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning phone call is nothing good. What about that? 
Doesn't that, isn't it, isn't it almost inevitable that our hope in God will be eroded? Well, it might be. But it's not a must. In fact, it, there, there are times that, that affliction and trial bring doubt into our life, but also through the goodness of God and his presence with us can actually bring more assurance. It can actually, it can, it can actually bring even a greater moral certainty in who God is, an anchor, so to speak. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews refers to it. Our biblical hope is, a, is an anchor for the soul. Last week, it was really cold one night, and uh, we had gone out to uh, a restaurant on our way home. We, we stopped to eat, and we came out of the restaurant, and we noticed that next to our, uh, our minivan, there was another car parked, and the, the back windows were, uh, were down, and, uh, and there was a dog in the back seat. And uh, my, my kid said, oh, look at that poor dog. And I said, oh, no, how nice of those owners to do that to the dog. And I wasn't being sarcastic, by the way, because it was a Siberian husky. But you, 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 you get the point. That, that dog was thrilled. The dog was so excited to be in the midst of this freezing cold car in a windy, a blustery night because the dog was made for that, right? It was, it was tough. I, I highlight that to say that I think that there are times that we assume that that's the way Christians are supposed to be. Now, some people assume foolishly, that Christians aren't supposed to suffer. <laughs> now, that, that, is, that is simply not true. <laughs> We're just like anyone else. Uh, you know, you, you, you poke and prod uh, uh, Christ, Christians, and we bleed like anyone else. And, and so, it's not that we don't suffer, but I think that some people say, yeah, but we should be a people who are not phased by that. We ought to be like, like that dog. You know, we just say, I'm tough, I'm hardy, this is what I'm made for. But that's not the nature of suffering. There are times that it's entirely fitting, appropriate, right, that we would grieve with severity, that we would experience anguish and other things in the midst of suffering. We don't have to walk away just saying, sure, I'm fine, I'm I'm okay, I I don't want to be a bad witness for Jesus, so I better be tough. It's not that at all. But we are mindful in that journey, regardless of what the affliction may be, that the Father doesn't want to just subject us to the elements, so to speak, pointlessly or mercilessly. Because the the reason, well, the precise reasons for why we endure suffering are a mystery to us. And I'm not even going to begin to to mine that down or try to explore it or unpack it. But suffice to say that God does use trials and affliction in our lives, in your life, to reveal things, to, to teach you and I things about ourselves and about who God is, even to, even to shape us. And it's not, it's not in spite of him and his love. It's sometimes actually that he would, that he would bring a, a trial. He would, he, would, he would bring some form of suffering, not despite, but precisely in light of his love for us because he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to to stay the same. That he would actually employ that to bring us to a place of greater character and perseverance and hope. We can and we will make it through because, and there are times when we say, "I, I, I could never do that again. Or we even look on the horizon, we could say, 
Um, if that ever happens, then, then my life is over. But then you, it happens. And your life goes on. I'm looking at some of you who have lost spouses this year. And your life is going on. How can we maintain a biblical hope? Well, a number of years ago, I befriended a couple. This is when I was living in Durham, North Carolina. They were both professors at Duke University, Bill and Connie Walker. Both physics professors, scientists, a very high caliber. And uh, I, remember, I remember visiting with Bill in, uh, in the last stages of his life as he died with great hope and a love for Jesus. Uh, Connie, a remarkable woman, she, about uh, 30 years ago, uh, was walking through the library at Duke. And uh, she found amongst the stacks there a book called Les Adieux. Uh, the, the, it's French for the, the farewell or the goodbyes. And uh, it was a book by Adolphe Monod. Now, she fortunately can read French. And she began to read this book by this prominent uh, French Reformed evangelical pastor uh, from you know, over 200 years ago. It was the original 1856 uh, uh, printing of this book. And it was about a man named Adolphe Monod. He lived in Lyon, and he, in his 50s, was diagnosed with uh, a terminal liver cancer. And the last probably six months or so of his life, he was bedridden with, with agonizing, excruciating pain. And on Sunday afternoons, he would gather friends and family, and they would take the Lord's Supper together and worship the Lord. And, uh, and he would have these meditations, and that's all he could do. He couldn't preach anymore. And he began writing these things down and collected them together into this book. And she translated, Connie translated the book. And it was published about 15 years ago called uh, Living in the Hope of Glory. They renamed the book uh, after she translated it into English, Living in the Hope of Glory. Let me just read. There's a lot in the book that deals with suffering and pain. But there's the, the majority of it is just about living a powerful, hopeful, faithful life in God. Let me just read one portion. It's rather long, so bear with me. But Mano, here he is, laying in bed, and he says this. It is sweet to contemplate today in the sufferings of our Savior. The view they exhibit of the great, the incomprehensible depths of the mercy of God. Oh, my friends, let us always have this love present in our mind. It will explain everything, even the most cruel sufferings, since they are only the consequence of what he suffered for us. At the same time, it will make everything smooth and easy. Now remember, this is smooth and easy. This is a guy who's dying of terminal liver cancer. He says, faith renders everything possible. Love makes everything easy. His commands are not grievous. Full of this image of the Savior's love and the love of God revealed in the Savior. Reading his uh, paternal heart, the love of God for us. We shall give ourselves up entirely to the Lord to do and to suffer all that he sees fit to send us. Pray that we may be deeply impressed with this sentiment. This sentiment, God is love. And to this end, let us abide patiently at the foot of the Savior's cross and never lose sight of it. 
You see, he puts those two things together, the Savior's cross and the love of God. And many of you could testify of other people that you know in your life, maybe even in your own experience, who were taking that hope, a living, abiding hope. It speaks of the nature of hope. That is actually the nature of hope. It is faith. It is a faith that's not looking back, but a faith that's looking forward to the future. And like Manoah says, never, he says, lose sight of it, the love of God manifest in the cross. Which leads me to this last verse, which leads to this last point, which is what? Verse 5, love. Let's read it again. And hope does not disappoint, or in some translations, it does not shame us, verse 5, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Now we, 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 We can say there is no way there is no way that I will have any hope or perseverance if God calls me to suffer. Did you hear what I just said? Some of you, some of us might look forward and say, you know, there's, just, there's, there's no way that I will be able to go on if God sends suffering of any acute way or, or, or severe way this year. And you know what? That might be true. That might be the case. And it might reveal something in you. It might reveal that you don't really know him as father. And you don't know about his love. But it may, it may expose something of the genuineness of your faith. And more importantly, the genuineness of the object of your faith who is God and which is the gospel. And if your faith is in God, what does verse 5 say? You will not be put to shame. You will not be disappointed. We're all ashamed when we have some new zeal for a plan or a uh, you know, an opportunity or something, and we, we throw ourselves into it. We post it all over social media, and we talk to our friends, and we commend it to these people, and we, and, and, we, and we just pour ourselves into something, and then either it fails or we fail. <laughs> That's why I don't tell anyone what, what my New Year's resolutions are until halfway through the year. <laughs> I, I knew I would do that all along. And then if I don't, well, I didn't, I, no one knows, you know. Think about it, brothers. And sit. Yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's people, even in a more devastating fashion, who have taken all of their life savings, let's say. You've seen these interviews with people who have fallen to a Ponzi scheme. They invested their life savings, and now they have nothing. They're, they're not only shamed and disappointed, they are, they are devastated. Some of their livelihood is completely robbed. Not so with God. Not so with God. How, how will we do this? Well, the explanation is here because in verse 5, what does he say? And it's not going to disappoint us because, follow the logic, if you belong to God, then you have a seal and you and I have a guarantee. You have a deposit. Paul writes of this deposit elsewhere in Ephesians 1 when he's referring to Him, Holy Spirit. Because we have Holy Spirit, 
that has been poured out into our hearts as if a stream were coming in and a reservoir were collecting with respect to what? The love of God. The love of God. I said it to you two weeks ago, didn't I? Are you tired of hearing God loves you unconditionally, relentlessly, incomprehensibly. God loves you in Christ. What were the three things that abide? Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Well, why, 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 why is the greatest of these love? I had not given any consideration to that until recently. And you know why? Because you don't need faith in glory. Those other things are temporal. If you get, when we get to glory, we don't need faith because we have sight. And we don't need hope because all of our longings are fulfilled and we're completely satisfied in the glory of the living God. But love remains. Love is eternal. Love existed before we needed faith between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And love is endless, eternal. What a beautiful thought for us. So what ambitions do you have for this new year? Well, I want to commend to you this, and this is what I say very briefly as a point of application in closing. Would, would it not be an ambition? Would it be an affection that you and I would be, would be connected with? Now, you might, need to, you might need to establish some ambition or plan to put you on the road to experience this and to avail yourselves of the means of grace and, and to, to, to hear it and to, to encounter it. But, but may, the, may the driving desire all the more be this, that we would be increasingly acquainted with that, that deep affection, which is the love of God poured into our hearts. Because when Paul writes about that in verse 5, he's not talking about our love. He's talking about God's love. And, and, and if I were to make his application, I would say, I think we need, I think we need a few more therefore. I think we need a few more therefores in our life. And so maybe you could even go from here and say, what are the therefores therefore in my life? Now, verse 1 was a great therefore. But do you understand what I'm saying? What is a therefore? If this is true, then these implications. If you believe that humans are corrupt and depraved, well, then you take measures to prevent yourself from being a, a victim of crime. You lock your doors. And if you think it's, it's wise and it makes you healthy to eat well and exercise, as some of you, re- well, then you make resolutions. If you think that ice is slippery, therefore, you shovel and you spread salt. What's going to be the therefore if you've been justified by faith and he's poured his love into your heart so that you can have hope?
If you think that the world has let you down, if you think that people have let you down, or any of those other things I listed earlier, don't you be surprised. Because we are not home yet. We are merely pilgrims. So don't hope more in the world. Don't hope more in systems and money and power and politics and career and that relationship you didn't get last year but you hope you get this year. Or your education or your savings or your insurance. We could go on. Hope. Glory. In the Lord. I'll close there. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we look to you right now. We're grateful that those things abide. Faith, hope, and love. We're grateful that your love is manifest. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you forgive us for loving the world and the things of this world too much? It's eclipsed our ability at times to delight in you and to trust in you and hope in you. But I pray that you would work in this new year to glorify yourself. To work in us. And, and for, those who, the, for those who feel like they, are, they don't feel, they know that they are in the valley. Would you comfort them with a comfort and a hope that only you can bring? Prince of peace, mighty God, Jesus. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.